Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Good evening, everyone. Rich Catino along with Mike Silva. It is New York Sports Wrap on the air. For the next 90 minutes, we have a packed show for you. We'll talk about the Mets and the Yankees in baseball, the trading deadline, and... The most balanced team in baseball, the Boston Red Sox. We'll talk a little bit about them as well and how Brian Cashman doesn't really understand what it takes to make a big deal. But then again, his record with getting pitchers hasn't been all that good over the years. I'll talk about Javier Vasquez, Carl Pavano, Randy Johnson. I'm surprised that he – I'm surprised he never uh, – isn't calling the Mets to talk about Jerry Blevins. That's the way that Brian Cashman deals with pitchers, and I'll throw Sonny Gray into the mix and not getting Verlander. Yeah, Brian Cashman, those bouquets that you got in the offseason, they could turn into a thorn bush real quickly if you don't do the right thing within the next couple of weeks. Mike Silva, good to have you on the show. When you say it was a packed show, I thought maybe you were talking about World Cup. Tell you how every four years I hear about how soccer's taking over. I'll tell you how much it took over in my mind. I knew the World Cup final was this weekend. I went to breakfast this morning, a late breakfast around eleven o'clock. I looked up at the TV in the diner, and the game was on. And it was halfway over. Tells you how much I knew. But glad to be on. I know a lot of baseball talk about the official, not the official, the traditional first half over now, and uh, we can take a look at. Both teams and, um, you know, tale of two cities, but we'll see where both teams are going because there is some very interesting times ahead over the next couple of weeks. Trade deadline is big for both teams. More so for the Yankees, mm-hmm. but the Mets, uh, if they're going to retool like everybody's reporting it, they need to kind of get things going and, and figure out what kind of assets they could get to help retool and rebuild the 2019 team. I had a little bout on Twitter this week, weekend I should say, where, and I guess this is when a non-millennial is talking to a millennial. 
And this is what happens, okay? I'm talking to these millennials, and they don't understand that you have to earn playing time when you're a prospect. It's not bestowed to you. And I can tell you from managing in this industry, when you get young people to come in, they think they've paid their dues already by going to college. They want that corner office now. And there's nothing about paying dues. There's nothing about being a good teammate. And this, this is going to be like the topic of the show, too, millennial thinking. It's part of this millennial thinking, too, that there's no winners and losers. Everybody's winners. Okay, there's participation trophies and all kinds of things. And I think there's a certain appropriate level for that. But life is about being in games where you win or lose. And I can tell you on the stock market, if you get a job in the stock exchange, there's no participation trophies given out on the stock exchange. There's winning and losing. And part of losing is learning why you lost and how to be better. And part of winning is being as graceful as you can, but being a winner. And I think that the young people today that I get, the young people that work for me or the young people that want to work for me, it's very distressing because there are two things at work here. They think they have bestowed, should be bestowed everything coming to them. And at the same time, they think that, you know, everybody should get an equal share of everything. And, I'll use a line from The Godfather. When they're all in that room and Don Corleone has to give up his political contacts and he says, Barzini says, of course you can offer a price for that. We're not communists. Okay? And my point on this whole thing is that it goes back to Dominic Smith. And people say, well, Jose Reyes shouldn't be playing and Flores should be playing third and Smith should be playing first. On the surface of that, I do agree with that. But at the same time, if you can't understand, Met fans, that Peter Alonso has passed Dominic Smith on the organizational depth chart, then I then you need an eye test because he definitely, Mike, has passed him. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Alonso up here, even though everyone says he's not going to be up here this season. I think it's even more. Right now, we're on unprecedented times when it comes to media coverage and fan outrage, when it comes to development, and, and, and it's either winning or misery. The old Pat Riley winning or misery has more even been a divide. It's either you're a top-five team or they want you to lose. And everybody forgets that the reason that Dom Smith may or may not be playing, I'm not sure I know this for a fact, you may know better than I, we don't see him in practice. We didn't see the back end in AAA. We don't see the time and the effort and the work he's putting in. We don't see how he's mentally adjusting to the big leagues. Uh, everybody is on trial in a big league uh, locker room. Uh, I've talked to veterans who were in the league 8, 9, 10 years who established themselves towards the point I was having those conversations. And the paranoia that that said person had regarding their standing with the organization to the point where they told me that they would never say no when they were asked to warm up, even if they were hurting, because they're always afraid they'd get cut. Now, at the point in time, I said to him, I said, you know what? That's not going to happen. You've you're got a guaranteed contract. He's like, no. Back from when he was young, he said, if I don't make myself available, then somebody else in AAA will be. And I think that that's being lost. Everyone's like, well, you've got to play Dom Smith the first to see what you have. The AAA manager, Tony DeFrancisco, he probably gave them some feedback about what they have. They saw him for about 30 days last year, 
and they have a pretty good idea what they have. They saw him when he wasn't injured in spring training. It's not like they don't know what they have there. They may also be saying, you know, what do we have here as a player that could be more versatile? To me, if I was Dom Smith, if I wanted to be in the big leagues, I don't care that I was drafted as a potential gold glove first baseman. Give me an outfielder's glove and let me play the outfield. He lost a ton of weight. He looks good, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. Show that you could be a part of this team. Do what Jeff McNeil is doing. Jeff McNeil's 26 years old. Everybody wants him uh, up here, and, and, and maybe second base. We haven't seen him play. He's playing third. He's playing left. He's trying to find a way to get there to the big leagues. Here's the other thing. Why should Wilmer Flores, who's actually hit pretty well this month, be benched? Right. What well, does that send? Just because the Mets aren't, aren't competing for a playoff spot, that doesn't mean the best nine guys shouldn't play every day. What message does that send? This goes back to even with Knicks fans, with some of these young players that they were drooling over in the summer league, and I hear them talking about, well, they'll get a lottery pick and maybe it'll be a top four pick. Well, if these guys are as good as you think they are, and if Fizdale is as good of a coach, he's going to want these guys to compete and win and win, even if they don't make the playoffs 30, 39, 40 games. It's about winning and developing a culture. Well, and think, that's I what's think, being lost here. I think fans are, are are complaining that Reyes is playing. That's the complaint. And they figure Flores can move to third, but Flores seems to be getting more and more comfortable at first. And I, I don't know Made if some I would good just plays move this week. to third. And now you got the you got a designated hitter coming up in the Yankees series. Obviously, That'll probably be chance. Cespedes. Cespedes yeah. can be there, but if he's not, then... You can move some stuff around. But I had a chance to talk to both Dominic Smith and Brandon Nimmo after the game today, and we're going to play these interviews in a sec here. And I kind of played a little good cop, bad cop in these two interviews. I talked to Dominic Smith first because there's been talk that he's upset about his lack of playing time. What was your impression talking to Dom Smith? What did you get? What did you, what, what is your take about that Callaway and him spoke, and he said the same exact thing that Callaway said to me. So I know either he was prepped to say it Probably or prepped. he indeed had the conversation where he has to worry about the things he can't control. Um, but I then asked him, and we'll hear that in the interview, what? why doesn't he go to Brandon Nimmo, a guy who went through the same exact thing that he went through 12 months ago, and – Brandon Nimmo took those pinch hitting uh, uh, events real seriously. He talked to the Jay Bruce's of the world. He got sent down. He got sent down. And he was he was not on the roster in, early in this season. And let's hear the interview first with Dom Smith here, where he basically uh, I, it's two quick questions I ask him, and you can hear his tone and volume. Before we go to that, I want to just mention we're going to take phone calls on on this on six three one. 955-5400, 631-955-5400. Now me and Dominic Smith post-game today in the Met Locker Room. Dom, has it been a little frustrating for you that you haven't gotten the playing time that you might have thought you were going to get coming up here? Uh, no, not really. You know, um, you know, me and Mickey talked a lot, and you know, one thing he really preached and emphasized is, you know, control what you can control. And, um, you know, the lineup, uh, the playing time, um, all that stuff is out of my control. Um, so I can't really focus on that and worry about that. I just got to continue to come, you know, early every day um, and put in my work, um, put in the extra work and keep working hard. And, you know, when I do get my opportunities and just continue to, uh, you know, try to improve and, and get better, obviously, and, and do what I can. 
One final one. There's a guy in this locker room that was in your similar situation yeah. a year or so ago, Brandon Nimmo, yeah. who had to work on the pinch hitting, and it mm-hmm. kind of got him to the forefront. Do you plan on, like, talking to Brandon and maybe asking him, like, what what worked for you? Uh, yeah, d- definitely, definitely. You know, um, uh, I, I definitely, um, you know, try to talk to him. Um, also talk, you know, with Six and uh, um, Slater, you know, um, just about uh, how to prepare every day, um, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what should I back off of, or what should I do more of, um, especially, like you say, you know, getting your body ready to, you know, come off the bench and, and hit like that. Um, you know, it's definitely, everybody's different, but you definitely have to have a routine for it. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to find my own routine, and, um, you know, I'm trying different stuff, trying to see what works, and, uh, you know, just obviously trying to be a student in the game and pick their minds and pick their brains and uh, just try to learn from them. Thanks for joining New York Sports Wrap. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate. Now, a couple of things on that interview. One, one, if I was put in a role where I was coming off the bench for a solid six, seven games, I'd be running to Brandon Nimmo to get feedback from him because he was so successful at it. And, you know, Smith's supposed to be a patient hitter, so the whole patient approach in pinch hitting may have fallen in. in. The other thing is I got the sense from Dom Smith that he's still trying to figure out in his mind the best way to prepare for pinch hitting. That's another scary thing. And It's not easy for a young player who's, who's been playing every day throughout his minor leagues. I mean, pinch hitting and even DHing, I think fans forget, are totally different. They're, they're a lot the same. Uh, a little more certainty with the DH position, but it's not like you just pick it up. You, you have to be ready for the scenario, the pitcher. Um, you work the at-bat differently than maybe you would work if you knew you were getting four ABs a game or something along those lines. Some of his pinch hitting efforts at the play have just looked horrific to He's me. He's been blown away. He looks no effort at all. Blown Absolutely. Away. Yeah. Now, the opposite, let's take the opposite approach. I talked to Brandon Nimmo after the game, and I asked him point blank if Dominic Smith has come and asked for help, and it was an interesting answer, and here it is. For you individually, and I know you're a team first guy, Brandon, but for you individually, do you almost have to pinch yourself and say, you know, I didn't know coming into the season if I was going to even be on the roster, and here I am, a focal point of the roster. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, this is a good time to step back, kind of look at the season so far, and um, kind of just take a look at where you know where you started and where you are now. And um, Yeah, like you said at the beginning of the season, um, you know, it's supposed to be Pretty much a bench guy, give some guys some days off, um, and now now an everyday starter, and uh, you know being able to um, contribute, try to contribute in, in big situations um, for for this team. So um, you know it's definitely it's definitely um, a lot different than, than we thought things were going to go in, in the beginning. But uh, you know for me personally, in a good way, I've gotten some opportunities, been able to uh, capitalize on them, um, and then also. Um, you know, now looking forward to the second half and um, hopefully making some making some adjustments to uh, to the pitching that, that has been made made to me. And so um, just keep playing that cat and mouse game. Brandon, there's a guy in the corner, Dominic Smith, who's struggled with some, getting some playing time. Yeah. And you're you're someone that had that same kind of bout. Yeah. And you really kind of try to perfect the pinch hitting role. Yeah. At some point, is that something you're going to maybe talk to him about and maybe give him some helpful hints? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I try to keep my uh, – locker open, so to speak, um, as to guys to be able to approach me and, and ask me any questions they want. Uh, I'm not necessarily the type that um, is going to try and force things on, on anybody. Um, you know, I usually want them to, to come to me. 
Um, but you know, if he if he wants any information, um, then then I can definitely pass that on. Like you said, I I've been in that role um, and and just tried to do the very best I could with it. Um, and then when some opportunities came, um, was able to to take advantage of them and, and now in, in more of a starting role. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm an open open book. I, I, I've got you know I've got some some good information on that, but uh, really it's just trying to be the very best at whatever you're asked to be. <laughs> you know, Brandon Nimmo is so politically correct that, you know, I, I have a feeling he should be working in the White House right now because he's badly needed that type of approach. But I got the sense, Mike, that he hasn't, Dominic Smith hasn't come to him and Nimmo's waiting for it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he may not feel comfortable at this point in his career to be that locker room pres- presence to go out and take that leap of faith. I mean, he's in the league, cup of coffee, basically. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're in the big leagues and you're not going to veterans, and I just read Keith Hernandez's book when I went to Vegas on a flight. I had the time to read that and David Johnson's book, so got a lot of baseball learnings through <laughs> that. But uh even heard from Keith how veterans, when he was a young player, how much impact they had. Good or bad. Could mm-hmm. be both. And uh, maybe Don Smith doesn't, and not that Nimmo's a veteran, maybe he doesn't have that yet. He doesn't have that intuition or that, the, the, that feel or that comfortability to go up to somebody or have that mentor. But you have to also show these guys, you've been in big league locker rooms more than I, Rich. These guys are willing to share, for the most part, their craft, their trade. And if they're not, those are usually the guys you don't want on the roster. Right. But they're not just going to go and give it to you for nothing. Nope. You've got to come to them. They've got to see that you're worth their time. Because the time is the, is the thing that none of us have enough of. And baseball players, as much as everyone thinks they only have time, they start working at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on their preparation, their routine, to make themselves or put themselves in the best position possible to compete and win that night and to do their job. They're not going to just spend that time on someone who they feel is not invested in themselves. If you're not invested in yourself, who the hell is going to be invested in you? And the way the Met locker room is juxtaposed – Dominic Smith's locker is right near, I would say it's in between, I would say he's more by the door, and Todd Frazier's next to him, and Jose Batista is the locker next to Frazier, and I'll tell you right now, I saw Juan Lagares talking more to Todd Frazier than I've seen Dominic Smith, and my point is that, you know, there could be conversations going on when I'm not seeing it, or when I'm not there, but from these two interviews, judging I, 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 this is why it's prospects, and this is why it's not can't-miss prospects. It's Dominic Smith, this is the most important year of his career. It's going to decide whether he's a quadruple-A player or a major league player. And if he's in this team's plans or he's going to be in another team's plans. And I think that... um the better Pierre Alonso plays, and he had, I just saw the home run. What a bomb! He hit a, a mammoth home run in the in the Legends game. I shouldn't say the Legends, rookies the, game. The rookies yeah. game, um, and I think the Met minor league system has gotten dispersions cast upon it all year. Now they had nobody in the top hundred coming into the season. They now have three in the top hundred. They have Peter Alonso, McNeil, who's 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 rose quickly, who, who's getting knocked because he's twenty six years old. That's the new thing that drives me crazy. Is that how old was Degrom when he came up? 
Yeah, well, DeGrom's 30. He was up in 2014. He was 25. He was late. Everybody wants, and this is goes back to this whole about value, and it's probably based on analytics. And I'm, I'm not anti-analytics by any stretch of the imagination. Everyone believes that there's a linear path to the big league. There's only one way to win. There's only one way to do things. It's not true. No, First of all, not. McNeil was hurt for a couple of years. Not every prospect, not every player develops at the same time. Uh, Jared Kelnick has been on fire since yes. he got drafted. That's not in common. But guess what? At some point, if not this year, next year, Jared Kelnick's going to hit a bump. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what's going to determine how he progresses to the next step. Same with him and uh, Anthony Kay, Justin Dunn, David Peterson. He's hit a little bit of a rough patch. Those guys, pitching prospects, I don't know what they'll be. Will they be number threes, number twos? I don't know. They've hit some rough roads with injuries, but now they're starting to, at least two of the three, take the next step. That's what's going to determine it. Not everybody is David Wright who comes up at 20, 21 years old and makes an immediate impact. Not everybody's Jose Reyes. Luis Severino, look at his numbers from 2015, 2014. He struggled. Yep. It took him a while. And this is what drives me crazy. And I, I saw uh, Alonzo get into it with Keith Law. Peter Alonzo got into it with Keith Law. Yep. Um, and I had Russ Langer of the Vegas 51s on my podcast last week, play-by-play. Uh, play. He's not the only one that got into Keith Law. Uh, I did, too. Yeah, I know you did, too, right? <laughs> but, we, you know, when somebody tells you who, who actually does it, and what Russ, if anyone listens to Russ, Russ doesn't just do play-by-play, play, and when you interview him, he doesn't just give you canned commentary. He will, you could tell he's talked to the manager, coaches. He talked about how the ball jumps off his bat. And that's going to tell you a lot. I don't care if it's the Pacific Coast League. The Korean League, Major League Baseball, if that ball jumps off your bat and, and it's going to go out any ballpark, that tells you a lot about what kind of player you have. And everyone seems to think that you know McNeil's a player. The point is is that not everything is A to B clean. Right. Everybody has a different development path. Right now, Dom Smith, for some reason, and I know some people are going to say it's race, but I just think he's never shown from day one since he's been in the organization that he's committed to conditioning, that he's committed to his own development. That's the feeling I get. And I remember a friend of mine who has scouted told me when it, when he was drafted, he told me never make the big leagues. And I was like, come on, he's a first-round pick. He's like, no, now he's made the big leagues, but he's been right. He's like, that was a, he thought it was a horrible pick from seconds after it was made. And he just thought just overall the kid's demeanor, his attitude, everything like that just wasn't made out to to go through the process, which 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 is what it's all about. It's the process from 18 years old to whenever you get to the big leagues. We saw it in Moneyball, and, and I'm talking about the book more than the movie. Right. And we saw it in the book when Bean talks about his interaction with Lenny Dykstra and yep. in the Mets system. Yep. And Billy Bean was a top prospect, talented guy. But Lenny Dykstra, you know – Bean would have conversations with him like... Lenny was a what smart mo- baseball guy. What movies do you like? What books have you read? Nothing. Baseball. He would go, no, 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 no. He goes, we got we got the Cardinals in preseason game tomorrow. Oh, I got I to gotta get three hits. And you know what? There's a reason why Lenny Dykstra had the career he did, and there's a reason why he's had the post-career that he's had. The reason that he was a good postseason player, uh, not only with the Mets, but with the Phillies as well. So... I think that it all comes down to, and that's why analytics bother me. I, I, I talked about this all week in the press box, and I got lambasted for it. The launch angle has a chance to ruin this game of baseball. It's got a great chance of ruining it. Launch angle, to me, is appropriate 
with about 9 to 10% of the players in Major League Baseball to discuss it. The Aaron Judges, the Joanna Cespedeses, the Mike Trouts. Look at, look at. The Bryce Harpers. Look at Lagaris when he was, before he got injured. He had worked with the same individual that worked with Justin Turner. Juan Lagaris wasn't all of a sudden a 30 home run guy, but he was hitting better because all of a sudden it sounded like he was focused on hitting the ball more authority. That doesn't mean it's with power. It doesn't right. mean it's at that, that perfect angle. Um, it was about seeing the ball and hitting it uh, within the scope of what he can do, which you know, he's a guy who's going to hit five home runs, maybe six, seven home runs. But, you know, it, it was a big difference that you saw out of Juan Lagares. It was, but what I'm saying is if I was a general manager starting out with a team or a Derek Jeter, say, this is the kind of team I would build. Everyone's building – players that can hit home runs. The strikeouts look look at as a non-negative stat now. Okay? I'd build a team that has speed. I'd build a team that could beat the shift. And I'm telling you right now, it, it's not something that can happen overnight. It's something you have to build in your organization. But once you do, this is a copycat profession. Somebody and else the will change be. will it'll start changing back again. But somebody, some team has to embrace it. Now, there's a reason why the Houston Astros won the World Series last year, and it wasn't just because they had guys that could hit over the fence. They were in the bottom tier of offensive strikeouts. They struck out the least amount, I think, of everybody last year. The Giants in the the World Series they won struck out the least. The Royals beating the Mets in 2015, I believe they struck out the least as well in the American League. That's not an exaggeration. A strikeout will never, ever, 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 ever get a positive base advance, whereas an out that's hit could. And this is the other thing that these sabermetricians feel to realize, and maybe because when we were playing ball in the park, they were all taking notes on the side somewhere, okay? Um, they were the guy in Bad News Bears that held the stat page, basically. And my point on all this is they've taken the stolen base out of the game. And to me, if you have a runner on first with one out and he steals – now you have two shots at getting him in with a single as opposed to leaving him on first base, still having two outs, and having two outs that you're either going to have to get an extra base hit or two singles. And that, to me, it's harder to get two singles or a double than it is to get one single in two at-bats. And sabermetricians, I've talked to them about this all the time, and they said, no, you're looking at it wrong. No, I am looking at it right. There's two at-bats to get a single rather than having two at-bats where you have to get two singles before you get out of the inning or an extra base hit before you get out of the inning, and that's the one they can't explain to me. By the way, Wilmer Flores is hitting over 300 in the month of July. So he's hitting 319, you know, two homers, four RBIs, but he's got an OPS of 858. He's actually at righties better than lefties this year, which was always a challenge. That's a guy who deserves to play. And I understand what they'll say. We'll put him at third and Dom Smith at first. I just don't think Wilmer Flores could play third base. And here's the other thing, and somebody brought this up. If the Mets intend on contending next year, Flores is actually a pretty good piece at a reasonable price that you could keep on this roster as a caddy for Alonzo, as a guy that could you know, play second base. I'm not great. Um, in theory, he could play the whole infield. He's played the whole infield at some point. So, um Right. Why, why all of a sudden just bury him so that – and I think first is where his value is, and maybe you'll get something for him. So there's a lot of factors. It makes no sense. And what you're telling me then is when Todd Frazier returns, 
that I got to bench Wilma Flores to play Dominic Smith. All right. Which, to me, you have to earn your position. You may give a chance to play for a short period, and I know that at some point you have to tell someone you're either the guy or not the guy, but I don't think Dom Smith has gotten to that point yet, at least my opinion. Anyway. He hasn't. We got, we got lots to do on the show tonight. At 9 o'clock, we're going to bring in Howie Carpin, who's going to talk to us about the Yankees. I'm sure he'll touch upon some Mets. We'll have him on until around 9.15. Uh, we will then be joined by Chris Majikowski. And then finally, we will also talk to Ryan Crofts. Mainly baseball tonight as we're at the All-Star break. And when we return, I'm going to get Howie Carpin on the line. Howie's going to talk to me about what the Yankees may be looking for in a trade at the trading deadline, what Brian Cashman is trying to do. And I'm going to talk to Howie because both he and I think highly of Clint Frazier. Why was he sent down by the Yankees today? That one I'm scratching my head about. We will come back with all of that right after this. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the preceding program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. Cap off a weekend of watching sports by talking about it with Mark Rosenman and AJ Carter on Sports Talk New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 5:40 a.m. from 7 to 8:30 Sunday nights. Visit their website www.sportstalknylive.com for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York Sunday nights from 7 to 8:30 on WLIE 5:40 a.m. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. Brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. 
We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino along with Mike Silva. Just some programming notes. Next week, it'll be Mike Silva with Justin returning to the fold. And he's in Toronto celebrating his birthday this weekend. And I will be at Yankee Stadium for the final game of the Subway Series, which we now know that Jacob deGrom will pitch that Sunday game. The Mets are going with Syndergaard on Friday night, Mats on Saturday afternoon, and they're going with, um, obviously, Jacob deGrom on Sunday. And speaking of the Yankees and the Mets in baseball, we bring on Howie Carpin. Howie, how are you tonight? Hey, what's up, guys? Good to be with you. Um, I'll head right for where we, we're going towards in the next couple of weeks, the trading deadline on July 31st. And I tweeted out today that I always thought, Howie, baseball should change that rule. And I would scrap the August 31st trading deadline and just make one trading deadline August 15th. It gives teams a little more time to figure out whether they're buyers or sellers. I think they're more clearly defined this year than in other years, but there are some years when teams didn't know which was which, and I think the best example was last year with the Minnesota Twins that ended up getting the wild card spot. Yeah, but you know, it used to be June 15th, as we all know, and then they <laughs> made it July 31st. I'm not sure of the reasoning of why they have the deadline at that point, but uh, you know, it's pretty close to September. I think they want to give teams a a chance to you know to clear the waiver wire as an alternative for trades. Obviously, that worked out for the Astros. You know, the market's not great this year. Obviously, the big name is Manny Machado, and and the, the reports vary as to who's in the lead for him. So, you know, it makes for interesting fodder right after the All-Star break in those few weeks, for sure. Now, speaking of Manny Machado, I know the Yankees were in the mix for it now, but from what we're hearing, other teams have kind of, I guess, put better offers on the table. And the team that, that most intrigued me that I heard about today is the Phillies. The Phillies need another bat in that order, and I think Machado would be an amazing addition for them, Howie. Yeah, now John Paul Morosi of MLB.com is saying that it's the Dodgers and the Phillies in the lead, and the Brewers have gotten back to the third team. I'll be honest with you, I don't think the Yankees were ever in on Manny Machado. I think, the, I think Brian Cashman did his due diligence. He called Dan Duquette, probably said, mentioned Manny Machado's name. It got out, and somebody writes that the Yankees are interested. I don't see any sense that they need Manny Machado at this time. They need more pitching. Why focus on Manny Machado? Because Miguel Andujar is getting this defensive metric rating that he's not a good third baseman. He's not a dog, not a gold glover, but uh, the Yankees don't seem to want to give up on him right now. So, to me, that whole thing made no sense. Howie, I'll, I'll throw something radical at you, which you probably thought about, but I'm, I'm sitting here saying, okay, J-Hap and all these guys, they're going to cost – Starting pitching is such a premium. They're going to cost probably somebody like a Clint Frazier that in reality, in a vacuum, you're, you're going to say, why would I give up that guy for that pitcher? That's not a knock on Jay Happ, but he's not a number one. He's not a number two. Justice Sheffield, and again, I'm not a scout, but his numbers look pretty good at AAA. Three years ago, the Mets brought up a guy named Syndergaard, a guy named Mats. Those guys pitched in the playoffs, got them to the World Series. Now, I know the Mets and the Yankees may be different. What's the harm and throwing the kid in the middle of this pennant race and saying, all right, kid, you're this great prospect. Everybody wants you. Show it to me. Maybe you never know. All of a sudden, he's significantly better than Jay Happ, and you don't have to give him up to get that player. I'm with you, Mike. I'm with you all the way. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, who's Jay Happ? Who's, you know, Cole Hamels at this point in his career? They're not blowing you away, and they're not difference makers. And you're right. The Yankees may have to pay a stiff price. Now, Rich, as Richwell knows, 
I'm very high on Clint Frazier. Now they sent him down again to get at bats. I mean, they, they kind of like, you know, dirt this kid around. This would be the fifth time that he's been optioned, and he seems to handle it mentally as well. You know, I think they they got to they got to they think they have all this depth. All of a sudden, depth could dry up on you. But you're right. I mean, why not bring up the kid? Let's see what they got. You did it with Domingo Herman out of necessity when Tanaka went down. The kid Lo Isica showed something until he got hurt. You know, maybe you roll the dice now that now the Red Sox are down a starter because what I'm hearing that Walter Rodriguez has a bad ankle injury, so. That could change the scope of the American League East a little bit and see what happens in the second half. I agree with you, Mike. Your, your assessment is correct. I mean, these guys are not worth the price they may have to pay to get one of these guys. I totally, totally agree with both of you on that. And I think that sometimes also when you bring a young pitcher into a pennant race, people say, well, how will he handle it, you know, the pressure? Sometimes these young kids don't even know what the pressure is. So they're just – out there having fun. He's got the NY on his chest that he's dreamed about having on. And sometimes you get lightning in a bottle. And I think that one of the things that Cashman has to be real careful about is to pick a pitcher. If he's going to make a trade for a pitcher, it has to be a pitcher that has an impact. And i got to be honest with you, Howie, I don't think any of those impact pitchers are going to be available for what the Yankees want to pay. And Sheffield could be their best option. I agree, which also lends me to believe that I think they're going to load up on the pen and look for relievers instead of a starter to make a deal. Now, I know they're trying to focus on Brad Hand, but the Padres are asking a large price. Now, whether that will come down as the, as the weeks go on toward the end of the month, who knows. But I have a feeling that's, what, that's the plan. Uh, since there's not, as Mike mentioned, these starters are not that great. You know, they don't blow you away. Let's load up on the bullpen. Then you could take a chance with a young kid. At least you could back him up with some veteran arms. And if you have to, you play it out of the bullpen. You can get away with that in the playoffs. You can't do it in the regular season because you don't get the off days. But in the playoffs, you can live off your bullpen. Certainly teams have proven that that's the case. And Jerry's familiar as a guy that, you know, the Mets are going to try to move. And from what I understand from inside the Met organization, They've only gotten calls from National League teams right now, and the two that have kind of been really trying to push the Mets to make this deal are the Phillies and the Giants. Potentially, how do you think Familiar would help both of those teams, Howie? Well, the Giants, he gives them depth, and, and the Phillies, he could give them a closer, although I don't see the Mets really dealing with the Phillies, even though they may be in the mix. I still have a feeling Houston's going to get into this mix. They just sent Ken Giles back to AAA. Mm -hmm. Their bullpen is thin. They could use a guy who's at least semi-reliable. And plus, I I could see the Mets, you know, trading him to the other league. Certainly, to me, they'd be more willing to do that than trade him within the National League. But they have to make a move here. You know, he's maybe at least one of the assets they could move to get something back. Maybe not something great, but at least to get something. Howie, I, I, I agree with you, and, and again, you look at the Yankees, the offense is not the number one priority when you compare it to the pitching, but offensively, you start getting against the heavyweights in a short series. You know, Greg Bird, I know he's been hot lately. You know, he's never shown that he could hit elite pitching consistently. Um, you know, Andujar, now you heard the reports this week, and maybe this is, you know, teams trying to diminish a little bit the Yankees hyping, quote-unquote, of their prospects. Andujar is a bit of a free swinger, and he's going to go through growing pains as he gets around the league. Um, You know, Judge and Stanton could be a bit streaky. You know, Torres with his hip injury, and I'm not saying he's going to be out the rest of the year, but that usually is a little bit of a concern, and it would be nice to get somebody in here to maybe, even if it's a backup or a veteran type uh, of player, 
because Neil Walker hasn't shown that, you know, the drop-off from Torres to Walker is great. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and uh, the kid Tyler Wade has started to show something here and, and starting to play a little better. I can see them you know, maybe making a decision on Walker. You're kind of on the right track with their offense. Their offense, you know, look, it's a long lineup when they're healthy. They have a lot of, uh, you know, right-handed pop. They lack a little balance, in my opinion. Bird has to carry a big load on the left side. So does Didi Gregorius. And you're going to face, if you face the Astros, you're facing mostly righties. You know, if you face the Indians, you're facing an all-righty starting rotation. You know, you're going to need that balance in the lineup. That lineup can get, you know, shut down at times because of the, the, the abundance of strikeouts. And they're, they're really, they, they lack fundamentals offensively. They don't move runners and they get a chance, like at second with nobody out. They don't move in the third. They're not cashing in sometimes when they get a runner on third less than two out. So, yeah, this offense puts up runs, puts up numbers, but they kind of bunch them together in certain games. And then there's other games where they just need a single or a big, you know, even a sacrifice fly, and they don't get it. Yet they put up this tremendous record that in any other year, I'm sure the Red Sox are feeling the same way. The Red Sox reel off 12 of 13. You got you figure in any other year they're opening a 10-11 game lead in the division. Yankees are four and a half back. Yankees are playing terrific, and they're four and a half back. So it's working both ways. They're playing off each other. So it's kind of a strange season. And, yeah, the, the playoffs is a whole different ball game. Maybe they do pick up a veteran like infielder or outfielder, but I don't think they're going after a Manny Machado type. Probably not. I wouldn't think so. You know, Howie, everyone talked about the Yankee bullpen last year and, and how good it was, and I think it was good. I think – in the playoffs, it was a bit spotty. The game against the Indians and a couple of other times, maybe with the Verlander game, not the bullpen not holding the, the the game where it should have been held. I actually think their bullpen's better this year than it was last year. And I think a big part of that is Dellen Batances has found his game. And you know how I've always felt about Dellen Batances, Howie. I, I think he's a tremendously talented and gifted pitcher that you have to kind of understand that there might be periods of time where he's a little down but that stuff is just exhilarating to me to watch and Robertson, Batances and Chapman and the other guys like Warren they have in that bullpen I think their bullpen how he's better than it was a year ago I don't know it may be but they need another lefty in there because Shreve's not reliable and then you, you know you want to have a guy for the especially if you're going to play the Red Sox in the playoffs they have those big left-handed bats like Ben Benintendi you know and Mitch Moreland you may need a left-hander in those earlier innings, like the sixth or seventh, to shut down a rally. Chad Green's gone a little backward this year, and David Cohen made a good point on TV saying he's become too predictable. They're kind of looking for his fastball, and he's had some hiccups. Their bullpen is solid, but you know, like anything, it's a crapshoot. There's no guarantees. You don't know what you're going to get. The Astros were able to overcome that bullpen flaw last year using their starters. Are they going to try and do that again this year? So, you know, bullpens are a crapshoot every year, and the Yankees seem pretty solid. So, yeah, you can call that, you know, one of their assets, but there's still no guarantees. You know, I was also thinking, Howie, when you talk about Clinton Frazier, and he keeps getting on the shuttle, keep going back to him. I understand, and people are telling me, fans are telling me, well, the outfield is stacked. You know, you got Gardner, you got Hicks, you got Judge. You're telling me he can't get some playing time at Gardner's expense? And I like Gardner. Grinder. Works at bats, been with the team a decade. I know he's an on base guy, but you know, Frazier's upside, especially I know you're in a pennant race, but you still have a margin of error. You're going to be in the playoffs. See what you can get, even if it's for a week where you know you spot him in three or four times. 
I, I see agree what you with got. you. I, you're, you're right on. I agree again. I mean, you know, and they're looking to trade him. Why don't they showcase him at all? You, know, you got a pinch hit at bat today. He got, got hit by a pitch. It was only at bat in the four games, I think. I don't think he got any other at bats. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, to me, he brings energy to that lineup. And I think, you know, I know people think I'm out of my mind, but I think there's more, you know, he's a better player than Gardner in the long run because of his age and because of his athleticism. He's a smarter base runner than Gardner at this point in time. I mean, it's fairly obvious. As, as good as Gardner's been, he's a terrible base runner for his for guy with that speed, and he makes a lot of mistakes on the bases. He, he plays with a lot of energy. I know that. He's a hustler. But to me, Frazier offers more upside, even more than, than Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks has been hot, so everyone's in love with him lately. Oh, he's doing this, he's doing that. He's hitting 250. I mean, yeah, he's gotten some nice hits, that hot streak. I, I think Frazier has more upside than both those guys, in my opinion. I agree with you totally, Howie. Now, after the, after the All-Star break, and everyone needs some time off, you and me as well, Howie, um, Friday night starts the Subway Series. And, you know, on the, on the surface of it, it's the Mets and Yankees. The Mets having a terrible season. Yankees having a great season. But I find a lot of interest in this series because when the Mets played the Yankees at City Field, the Yankees won two out of three. They did what they had to do. But I thought the Mets pitching did not only Seth Lugo in the game on Sunday night, but I think overall the Mets starters did a good job. And it was it was Mats, it was um, Degrom, and it was Lugo. Now it's going to be Syndergaard, Mats, and Degrom. I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty good series, Howie, and I have a feeling it's going to be a pitcher series for both teams. And uh, what do you think of the series? You think it's going to be entertaining? Oh, it'll be entertaining. The Yankees need the games more than the Mets. Really, the Mets have nothing. You know, at this point in time, you could say the Mets have nothing to lose. Although they'll be throwing some, you know, some some pretty good arms at the Yankees. It'll be a good challenge. But they're also playing in the bandbox, which is Yankee Stadium. So. That changes the whole specter of the series as well. The Yankees are a much better offensive team at home because of those dimensions, and they've been on the road, but they're a better road team this year than they were last year. I think it'll be close. I think, I think we'll see another two out of three from the Yankees. You know, who knows? The Mets could even win two out of three. They've done so before when no one expected them to do anything. But it's a big series for the Yankees because they've got to get jump-started here in the second half. They have a fairly easy schedule out of the gate. I mean, after the Mets, they're going to Tampa where they didn't win last time. You've got to figure they're, they're going to play a little better than they did the previous time. And then they've got a four-game series at home with Kansas City to start a homestand. They, you know, they haven't played the Royals at home yet. So those are opportunities for teams like the Yankees. And the Yankees have shown a penchant for playing down to the competition a little bit. I don't know if that's subconscious or whatever, but it has happened, especially against the Orioles. So the Yankees need to get going here. Because the Red Sox will play a little more tougher schedule in the second half than the Yankees do. And, you know, you got to figure they're not going to zoom the rest of the season, win, you know, 64 games left. They're not going to win 60 <laughs> the way it's going. But, you know, they'll level off, and that's when the Yankees have to make their move. Plus, they have the 10 games against each other. So the Yankees want to get started in the second half. You know, maybe a series against the Mets is just what they need. Sure. And I know I'll see you out there, Howie. Thanks for joining us. I know. I know uh, your time was limited tonight. We'll do it on a longer stretch some other week here on New York Sports Wrap. And I'll see you at Yankee Stadium on Friday. All right. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Howie. Howie Carpin, one of the best in the business. Um, we're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Chris Matchkowski, who had an unbelievably exciting week at City Field. One of my best friends in a Fordham grad. We'll talk to him right after this. 
Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signals to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. The Herman Singh Community Radio Show is now on 540 AM WLIE every Saturday morning at 9. With over two decades of service to the community, the Herman Singh Radio Show is now live on the air every Saturday morning at 9. If you would like to get in touch with the Herman Singh Community Radio Show to include your community announcement or request, call 718-805-4900. That's 718-805-4900. Brought to you by Tropical Funding. For all your mortgage needs, 718-805-4900. saying to your friend get a different face and posting on their feed they're super ugly the things they say to them online are cruel and they're not true so tell your friend i'll stand up for you don't worry i know what to do tell the world i see Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. We are back on New York Sports Wrap, and it was a very special week at City Field this week. Chris Majkowski, who is the engineer and um, producer of all the Met radio, radio casts on WR now, previously on WFAN, um, he hadn't missed a game in like 4,000 games or some ridiculous amount of games. So he threw the first pitch. One of the things I didn't realize is he wore number 11 out there. And I, I went up to him and I said, why'd you wear number 11? He said, Wayne Garrett was my favorite player growing up. And I said... Here I thought it was Pepe Manguel, the guy that was traded for Wayne Garrett. So um, I had a chance to talk to Chris this week at City Field. He's one of the greatest guys um, that I've ever known in the business, and he talks about his trek coming up right now. Obviously, um, it's been a great week for you, a historic week here at City Field. Can you talk about your career and everything that it's meant to you? Well, where do you want to start? Um, the beginning. At the beginning. Way back in the beginning. Well, Way back in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the Mets part of it. Um, May of uh, May of 1993, I uh, got a call from Eric Spitz because the fellow who was uh, had started to do the Mets games uh, that year on the engineering side, uh, he was taking over for Dave DeAngelis, who had done it for many years prior. Uh, well, he just wasn't working out. So I got a call from our good friend Eric Spitz and said, hey, um, you maybe do the Met games. I had been doing some stuff for FAN uh, at the Garden with the Knicks and the Rangers, so I was getting to know them a little bit. And uh, sure, why not? I'll give it a go. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, now here I am talking to you, lo, these many years later. And, uh, you know, they gave me a little nice little hit the other night. And, uh, you know, hey, very appreciative. Um, and, uh, um, you know, people say, oh, that's great. You know, you've done so many games and all this. It's just showing up for work, really. And um, and the work is 
well, just watching a ball game, <laughs> turning on a couple of microphones and, you know, hanging out uh, with, uh, with good friends like yourself and, of course, everyone here in the booth, you know, Howie and Josh and Wayne and Eddie C for many years before that. And, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's, uh, um, I've been blessed uh, to be able to do this and uh, really um, not, uh, not go to work every night. Well, it's really funny because I think, as usual with yourself, you understate what you do. And I think engineering, producing a game, keeping all the trains moving in the right direction, and doing that all simultaneously while working aboard, I don't know if I could do any one of those things, much less all of them at the same time. But can you talk about maybe your favorite met moments is it that 10 run inning against the braves is it world series what is what's 9-11 what do you think about the most oh you know that that's obviously that's a question that has come up uh especially a lot in the last week uh you know the 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 ventura hit the the grand slam single todd pratt's out of here out of here gary almost hitting the uh, hitting his head in the the, the roof of the old uh, booth, that shade, the ceiling, I should say, that light fixture that was in there that uh, we'd all hit our head on every now and again. Um, that, like you said, the, the game coming back after 9-11, the, the, the World Series against the Yankees, um, you know, other random games, uh, the game down in Houston when – uh, when Mike Piazza hit the home run off of Wagner and then Hundley homered in extra innings. Uh, thinking about Todd Hundley uh, when he uh, he broke the home run record for catchers here. That just comes to mind as I say Todd Hundley. Um, the game that um, uh, was it Carl Everett hit the, the grand slam in the bottom of the ninth and uh, and uh, then uh, Bernard Gilkey homered in extra innings, memorable for for uh, for another reason because Eddie C missed that game because he had had the angioplasty, and that was something that we kidded about every now and again when I'd slip that into this date in Mets history that this uh, the Mets rallied from six nothing down, and I had my first angioplasty and see if he would actually read that on the air, which probably wasn't a nice thing to do, but he always seemed to to catch it before time, uh, beforehand, um, you know, just, just all the games, you know, being here and, and being with everyone. Um, uh, the rain, the night that, um, how about this one for a Mets memory? I couldn't tell you anything what happened with the Mets game that night, but we were here 94, uh, Rangers playing the devils in, in double overtime. It's like, okay, well, we're done with the show mm. and then trying to do a quick calculation. Well, the first overtime is ended. Is there any way to get home or to some place else, even if it's just the bar over at the Holiday Inn, to watch the end of this game? Oh, no, no, there's no way we're there's no way we're gonna make it. No, 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 we better stay here. So watching that here, um, then when the Rangers won the cup, we were here. I know I'm going off on this tangent, except that we're going off on tangents. And uh, how at that time that it was like still that, you know, they were Rangers and the Knicks were in those runs uh, in 94 towards the championships. Well, the Rangers anyway, and the Knicks, of course, coming up just short. 
but um, you know, we still had to have the Met games on FAN because the contract was that way at the time. And then the the the, the night the game seven for the Rangers where they finally no 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 we got to put that on on FAN. And then we had to rig some things here because things weren't quite set up for not well not here obviously because we're sitting right. in City Field in the Chase Stadium. But you knew what I meant. Um, but just you know, so many games, and you know, you, it's funny doing this date in um, during the show, this date in Mets history, and I'm doing research. Oh, hey, wait, a minute. yeah, how about that? And then there's other stuff that's funny, <laughs> going back to oh, I don't remember that at all. I know I was there, <laughs> but but I don't remember it at all. Um, but it's just a, it's a lot of games, and you know, just different things you know not like i'm saying here you know sometimes it's other games or it's not necessarily that maybe such have a historical significance but just things that that happened and, and come up and, and then it triggers another memory and it's all good one final one um you know you've sat behind some of the great announcers in the history of New York radio, when you talk about people like Bob Murphy, when you talk about people like Gary Cohn, when you talk about people like Howie Rose, and Murphy was great at, you know, the Buckner play coming up with the word trickling when it was all in our mind, but none of us could ever do it. And I know that Gary Cohen's come up with words like parachuting to for a walk-off hit. I remember from Matt Franco back in 99. And can you talk about working with people like that and, and the creativity that they have within the radio booth where you have to be precise at the same time? Well, you know, if in, as if we stand here and we'll – not that the people can see this on the radio, but we're standing in, in, the, in the Bob Murphy radio booth right now, and we've had, we have this picture up on the wall of Bob, Lindsay, and Ralph. Uh, and certainly Murph, you know, when I came in, hell, we all listened to Murph growing up and all, and then, hey, I'm sitting behind him. But uh, just really the old pro. You know, um, the you know I know people often use that phrase. You know, the soundtrack or the sound of my summer, uh, because you know that's Murphy. We'll be back with a happy recap. Well, hi everyone. You know, and and we we've all got that. And then of course Gary. You know, just the, again the consummate pro and just uh, just so um, uh, exacting in the details and the precision. Uh, of his calls and and all and um, uh, working with him to just you know see that that side of it um, just you know like I said just so so precise I think that that would always be the word that um, the, that I would use and if someone asked me to describe Gary's play-by-play and all that uh, and you know the the, the the details and even Really now, everything with the scoreboard and the out-of-town stuff and everything is so easy to get, but he would come in and he'd have everything. He'd have everything to, to get ready for the game. Uh, and, of course, Howie with his uh, encyclopedia of Mets knowledge and, and all that and um, uh, uh, just the, the the fun that we have and the laughs that we have in, in the booth, you know, when it was uh, – when when Gary worked with uh, with Howie, uh, 
after Murph had uh, had passed. And then uh, when Tom McCarthy was here for a couple of years, we had a ball. And then Wayne Hagen, and now and now Josh. And like I said, Eddie C. I mean, how how can you ever, <laughs> you know, if you can't have fun when you're working with Eddie C., then the problem is with you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, and Wayne now, uh, you know, the, the youngster Wayne, who was uh, who has been a a real treat uh to work with um and you know uh extending out though even you know we're we're just talking about uh the Mets work that I've done uh you know but I've also worked with Marv Albert on the Knicks and the Rangers and Mike Green when he was doing Knicks radio and uh uh, now in the Giants booth with Bob Pop I'll give Fordham another (laughs) another plug for us uh for a do you want to sing the fight song no we we won't do that now I don't think anyone's ready to hear me sing no probably probably not um but just all the all the folks that I've gotten to work with over the years not the you know I don't want to forget anyone but I know I will it's like a winning winning an academy award I'd like to thank the academy and everyone uh and you Rich and, and Mike Mancuso all and everybody else um so uh again it's just you know it's been a treat it really has over the years and uh to look back and say wow you know that's a lot of games that's a lot of years but it, you know it's just it's flown by Chris, I want to thank you for your time and know this, that you are a big part of the Met fans' experience. You bring it to them, and they're in very good hands with you. Well, thank you, Rich. That was Chris Majikowski, who I'd known a long, long time. And we used to have this thing in the uh, when I worked at WFAN called the Crack Committee, which basically we would go out to dinner every night not every night. We would go out to dinner every year after we realized the Yankees were eliminated from postseason play. And uh, it was a Friday for years where we weren't able to do that when they were was winning Russo, championships. Would Russo pay for that? Or Russo no, Russo wasn't. He would talk about that. it on the air, but he wouldn't pay for it. But the thing about Madge, which makes him so special, um, is I've had a lot of things in my life that, you know, just rip your soul out, whether it be a divorce, whether it be um, – Dad being ill, whether it be, you know, frightening things in the industry where I was between jobs. And Chris was always there to kind of help. And Chris was always there to kind of guide me in my career and did it with a sense of humor. And traveling with the Mets, uh, I remember one night Chris and I were looking for somewhere to eat in Atlanta. And it was late at night. And we were trying to figure out we must have stopped at maybe 27 restaurants that were closed and then we finally found the 28th restaurant was open in Atlanta. I don't remember what it was, but the food was horrible. That's all I remember about it. And I'm like, was this was this a fun night or was this a bad night? He goes, no, Rich, not a fun night. But <laughs> we had a lot of fun nights, especially me, him, and Eddie C. At Mets Booth on Twitter. That's right. Mets Booth on Twitter and, and me, him, and Eddie C. Some stuff we really can't even share, but fun <laughs> nights, fun nights indeed on the road with the Mets. Um Right now I want to bring up Ryan Crofts as we talk a little bit more about baseball. And Ryan, I would have loved for you to have been here earlier when I was lambasting the launch angle and really going sicko into this microphone about it. I'm going to try to relive that a little bit with you during the interview tonight. But uh, how are you tonight, Ryan? I'm doing great. And, uh, Rich, I was plugged in a little bit earlier. By the way, guys, thanks for having me on. I was listening, and I was happy you cut right to the core of the launch angle because anyone who grew up playing the game knows that's a new fancy word for uppercut, which we were all taught not to do because all it does is hit the ball in the air. Absolutely. And I'm glad to see that someone who's more millennial than me actually agrees with me on this. 
I'm not just an old man who's sitting in his rocking chair and saying, well, this is the way it should be. But the problem I have with it, Ryan, is that so many teams, and if I was a general manager of a team today and I was building a team from the start, I'd build a team that had speed, I'd build a team that had good defense, and I'd build a team that would make the, sh- the people who shift me pay and pay dearly. And I think that has to be throughout the organization. You bring these kids up, and they, they feel their position, they steal bases, they play hit and run, and they, and they fight the shifts. And you watch how things would change back to where it was prior to all this launch angle stuff. I'll tell you, chicks may dig the long ball, but the Canyon of Heroes is going to be a place where someone's going to have to go up there with, to win a championship and get a trophy from the mayor of New York City. Whoever does that in the city is going to have to do it without the launch angle, and that's, you, know, you know what I mean by that. The Yankees aren't getting there this year. Yeah, Rich, actually, I couldn't agree more with you. And it's funny that you mentioned that because um, Mickey Calloway hit on this last week. They kind of asked him about, uh, and I believe you were even in the room for this, they asked him about what goes into supporting a pitching staff like this. And he mentioned great defense. He mentioned being able to string together runs. He mentioned being able to grind out an extra run using small ball, like you mentioned earlier. And he stopped short of saying, we don't have any of this. But you could kind of tell that's, what he hopes they build in the offseason for him and this roster. Absolutely. And uh, Ryan, just answer me this question, you viewing the Mets from where you're viewing them from. I would not trade any of these pitchers. I'm talking about the starting pitchers. Obviously, Familia is a guy that's, you know, and there's no there's no promise that the Mets won't pull a Chapman and then sign him in the offseason after trading him. That's a probably a remote possibility, but also a possibility. But my point is, Thor, DeGrom, Matt, Wheeler. I don't trade any of them. Because I think that that's going to be the core of this team going forward. And I think you finally have Matt and Wheeler becoming what you think they could become with coaching and tweaking. You got Seth Lugo lurking there. If you have a good bullpen, he could even be your fifth starter, making this rotation even more intense. But... My feeling is I don't trade any of those guys. Now, that being said, if I'm wowed, i got to think about it. But I want to keep this quartet together because I think this is going to be similar. And I know we said it a couple of years ago, if they could stay healthy, this is going to be similar to what, what we saw in Atlanta when the Braves had the Glavins and the Maddoxes and the Smoltzes and all those pitchers that night after night grinded out wins. The grinding out is going to come from this pitching staff. Your thoughts, Ryan? I think you hit the nail absolutely on the head, and I believe you guys even mentioned this a little bit last week, too, in that with these four guys, all four of them are 30 and under and still under team control. So it's not like moving them is going to give you any salary relief. So if you did move these guys, you'd eventually have to go out and get yourself starting pitching anyway. And the way that they have it set up with those big four under contract, and I love the Atlanta Braves comparison because you even have three righties and a lefty, so you have Glavin, as uh, you have Glavin, Steve Avery, Smoltz, Maddox, and Kevin Millwood, and they mixed him in. So right. the Mets have something of that dynamic with an old-school pitching coach similar to Leo Mazzoni. They've got Dave Island. You know, he's going to really push these guys. So I couldn't agree more. I want to hang on to these guys because you can build on this core for the next four years. And that's something that I've been talking to Rich. I was even saying to him before that we went on the air. I don't see why 
you can't go out over the next two years when you have DeGrom under team control. I know Syndergaard's three, Wheeler's only one. And you try to go for it next year in 2020. A rebuild isn't going to be any less painful then than it is now. I understand the equation of assets and you could get, or the claim that you can get more now for these guys than you ever can get. But if you're a good general manager and you play the market and you look at who's in contention, you're going to tell me next year at the trade deadline there's not going to be a team, if you're not in it, that's going to need a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. You're going to tell me in 2020 there's not going to be a team that's uh, in it that's not going to need a top pitcher. You can do it then. I just think you're almost ripping it apart too soon now. And I understand what people are saying. Well, if you don't spend money, then you're basically neutering the team. But I'm hoping, and I know that they'll have a new president or new GM depending on the direction they go. I'm hoping that that's already implied in the conversations just because the media is not reported, reporting, it doesn't mean that it's not already been talked about within the organization. Yeah, and I think that, uh, to your point, you really don't need to push the envelope on tearing this down because you get to hang on to these guys, and next year at the deadline you can move one. Next offseason you can move one um, because you, you really own these guys right now. Um, and to your point about the rebuild, um, it's going to look a lot like this if you don't find some more offense. You know, a lot of one nothing, 2 nothing losses. I mean, what they're doing to Jacob deGrom is absolutely criminal. If the, if the All-Star game were not to be in Washington, he would be uh, a unanimous starter, obviously. Um, but, you know, I have a good feeling he'll go to Scherzer like they did with Harvey when it was at City Field. Um, but even so, with that, when you bring in um, guys to support these pitchers, you need to score some runs for these guys. Um, and that's definitely going to be the focus in the offseason. Now, just in terms of the money, they should have ample spending because they've got these four pitchers. Normally, you'd have to spend money on that. They're under team contract. You have two potentially impact outfield bats in Conforto and Nimmo. Normally, you have to spend money on that. Those guys are under team contract. You have a shortstop in Ahmed Rosario. He's under team contract. So you have a lot of guys that... Ordinarily, where you would spend big money, you already have it in your pocket. So I like the standpoint where the Mets are for now moving forward, whoever does head up this offseason's player search. The only problem, though, is you have probably about $70 million already to the combination of Swarzak, Bruce, Vargas, David Wright, and Jay Bruce. And I don't know if I'm leaving someone out. You would hope the David Wright situation has to play itself out by the end of this year. It has to, but I'm not going to assume that until it actually does. And... My my thought process is to, you want to get more athletic on this team. The one free agent bat that I look out there and I really like that I would love to see the Mets. And I know people can say his Coors Field numbers, you got to track it, but I like his athleticism. I like the fact he can bat leadoff. DJ LeMayu is a free agent. I think he'd be perfect in a Met uniform. And I do think they have to look at the catching position because to me they have two backup catchers right now in Mesoraco and Plowicki. My preference would be to keep Plowicki as the backup catcher and go out and get an experienced catcher that can, you know, play the bulk of the time. I don't think Real Muto, someone that Derek Jeter is going to trade now. I have a feeling he's part of the core that the Marlins are building around. But the Mets have to try to search for some kind of a catching answer. I don't know. Maybe it's a free agent. Wilson Ramos is a guy that they might look at. I don't know. But that's how I would kind of try to start to get this team done. Ryan, my problem is they have a lot of corner outfielders and a lot of corner infielders. So if first base is a position you might give to Alonzo, say, and I'll get to the Dominic Smith thing in a minute, but the Alonzo, then you still have Nimmo, Bruce, Cespedes, 
and Conforto. Now, you don't have a short center fielder. This isn't softball. So what do you do with that? Do you try to move any of those guys? Is the guy, would you ever think about moving Conforto? Uh, is Bruce's contract movable? But that, to me, is the problem. And, and now, if you put Cespedes at first base, then you have maybe Nimmo in center, Conforto in left, and Bruce in right. But then you don't really have a legitimate athletic center fielder. Nimmo's okay, but I would say he's average at best at center field. So how do you address that, Ryan? This is definitely the elephant in the room for the Mets, and this is what's going to keep them up late at night trying to figure out as they move towards the trading deadline. Um, I personally, while I like Ioana Cespedes and understand that he's the engine of this team, I think if you can shed him in any way possible and get nothing in return other than salary relief, that would be the number one option um, just because Ioana Cespedes, he may be running his course here. I like that he offered to play first base, but he is not a first baseman. He's very big. He's very bulky. He's not good laterally. At, you know, at best at that point in his career, if you traded him, he'd become a DH for a team. Now, you mentioned in the catching situation, um, it's tough to find catchers out there, but he did express his desire to go to Oakland. So I would look into Oakland. They've got a few guys out there. Sean Murphy's a name that sticks out to me. Um, he's one of the top ten catching prospects in baseball. Now, in order to trade Cespedes, you'd have to eat a lot of money. But we got to be real about the situation here. The Mets may have made a bit of a mistake composing this roster with Bruce and Cespedes and overlooking the rise of Brandon Nimmo. So you need to get Nimmo and Conforto out there full-time. And to your point, Nimmo and Conforto are both corner guys. They're not true center fielders. And with Jay Bruce, it's the same situation. I don't think anyone's going to take that contract with the year he's having. You very well may have to, you have to eat your hat and negotiate a buyout this offseason and trying to figure out a way to basically do addition by subtraction and understand that you may have stepped in a puddle. No, I agree with you. I think that Ryan is, Ryan is correct. I, I said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Suspidus is the guy that, if you want to do something dynamic, creative, is the guy to move. He's got the no-trade clause. What's interesting, Ryan, is that you have these three GMs. You have Richardi, you have Omar, uh, you have Rico. You hear that the Mets want to go outside the organization, maybe for a GM or a president. Uh, Joel Sherman reported that it sounds like the ownership group is going to hire a consulting firm, maybe to dive into this. Are there any young names or you know experienced names? I shouldn't say young names, but uh, names that you think of that intrigue you, who could come in here and and take over this team now that it sounds like, at least from the media reports, that the Wilpons are not looking to just transition to Rico and the group that has pretty much put the Mets in this situation. One of the names that uh, we've been hearing a little bit about for, a, for about a decade now is um, King, Kim Ang, who has done some really great work in the commissioner's office. Um, and this very well, this next offseason, could be her opportunity to get in and really show what she can do, uh, you know, running an organization from the top level. That being said, I personally really think the tandem of Rico and Manaya and Ricciardi would be a very good working dynamic because let's not forget John Rico served under Omar Minaya during that run in the mid to late 2000s, right? So they already have a good working relationship. Omar's back in his sweet spot doing player development and player evaluation with Richardi handling a lot of the MLB scouting and Rico handling a lot of the administrative work, taking the calls. I think that there's no reason that that can't work because you have three guys that evaluate baseball from a slightly different spectrum. So they can check themselves, but we all know at the end of the day, they got to report to Jeff Wilpon regardless. 
and I, I agree with you on it. And I, what I would like to see the Mets do, if it's the three, I'd like to see them make, you know, Omar head of baseball operations and give Rico the general manager title and find a creative title for Rashardi. But to me... They would need a president in that situation. Yeah. To me, though, I think what people lose with Rico is Rico was involved a lot in bringing Cespedes here. Rico was in that room with Sandy Alderson debating. Because remember, Jay Bruce was available that year, too. And debating and debating, do we trade Fulmer, do we trade Fulmer, do we trade Fulmer? They decided to trade Fulmer. I still think it was a good deal. It got the Mets to the World Series, so I have no problem with it. But Rico is smarter than people think he is. He's more equipped than people think he is. And you know me, I think the world of Omar Minaya. I think he got a raw deal here in leaving. I think it was centered around... The exclamation point was the whole Adam Rubin thing, which was a travesty because Omar was telling the truth. The only problem is it was not the setting where he should have been telling the truth, but he was telling the truth, and we all know it now. Um, The other part of it is Omar left this organization in a lot better state than he's ever given credit for um, in that he left a lot of players here. I think Alderson will get some of that benefit two or three years down the road. If Peter Alonso becomes a star or McNeil or any of these players he's drafted, I think sometimes history holds you in a better place than you are in the present time. Just ask George Bush how he's being compared to Donald Trump right now, and I think you uh, have the illustration of how that works, Ryan. Yeah, and I completely agree that um, Manaya, while he did get a bad shake on the way out, um, it was the Mets were almost forced into that position to part with him and at the time Jerry Manuel. Um, but I do think having him back in the fold is great because, as you know, you know Omar Minaya as well as anybody. He grew up a Mets fan. He's from Jamaica. This is a guy who understands Mets baseball and understands the Mets way and understands what the fan base wants to see. And that can't be taken lightly because the fan base is absolutely furious right now. Um, but another thing on John Rico, he has survived, I believe this is going to be his fourth manager. Um, so he's been here since the early 2000s, right after they fired Steve Phillips and got rid of Bobby Valentine. They brought in Jim Duquette as his successor. Then there was the Art Howe years. John Rico has been there through all of that, which means that something he does in there impresses the Wilpons in that they like this guy. He's going to stay. So at no, at no point was I nervous for John Rico's job when I heard that Sandy was going to step down. Ryan, I mean, there's actually a report that just came out from Chris Acker, the Daily News, and I know Andy Martino. Uh, started the conversation earlier today over at SNY that uh, Mickey Calloway will be back and he'll get at least until the All-Star break next year uh, with this group, which tells you that they're they're not rebuilding. They're looking to win. Uh, you know, I've defended Mickey, and I know he hasn't had a banner year. You know, mistakes. I know that his interactions with the media have been clumsy. Um, people have questioned his bullpen moves, but I haven't seen anything egregious. I mean, after seven years at Terry Collins, who couldn't manage a bullpen, uh, my Stratomatic bullpen, uh, Mickey doesn't really totally bother me. Uh, but obviously, results speak for themselves. What are your thoughts on Mickey Calloway? Because I think he's an intelligent guy. I think he and Island have done some really good things with the staff. Not everyone has come up aces, but Wheeler, as Rich said, Wheeler and Matts and Gazel- are two. Gazelman and Gazelman and Lugo and guys like that, and we'll see what happens with it, Harvey. With it didn't work with Harvey, but it can't Harvey work needed with to get out of Harvey needed to get out of here mm-hmm. to, to to go to a different place. But what is your assessment of Mickey Calloway? Because I feel it's almost too soon to judge him, not giving him a pass, 
but there's a lot of things out of his control that have happened so far in his first half season. Mickey's had a really interesting go of it because when he came in, he was saying all of the right things from the get-go. He was saying, we're going to love our players. He was saying, no dry humping our guys in the bullpen. He was saying everything. You know, he, The media was eating this guy up. He was a darling out of the gate. Then they started off 11-1. and one, And not for nothing, I don't know Mickey Callaway personally, but I'll bet you at one point he leaned back in his skipper's chair in his office and jokingly said, guys, this is not that hard, right? As a joke during that 11-1 and one start. Because everybody would do something like that. And then it came crashing back down to earth. And the small deficiencies in his, shall we say, inexperience as a manager got exposed a little bit because now the Mets are under a microscope. On the other side of town, Aaron Boone, everything's peachy, but we've seen Aaron Boone make some pretty critical bullpen mistakes uh, earlier in the year. And the last three weeks for Boone have been tough. Have been tough for him. Yeah. Is, the rumblings have started with him, you know, but your team's in, in, in a wild card spot in trench, so a lot easier there, right? Yeah, exactly. And and with Mickey, he's a young guy. And, and young in terms of the baseball landscape, he's in his early 40s. That is a young skipper. There's, you know, There are players in the league that are around his age as well. Um, so I don't think he has any problem um, assimilating and relating to the players, but I just think that it's the first time that he's actually been handed the controller rather than stood over the shoulder of someone holding the controller. And in some of the minor things we've seen, such as not having a guy ready up in the bullpen in time. You know, just minor little things that you didn't have to be as on top of as the pitching coach because there was always another fallback system. It's now his call. And that's why I think having Dave Island is actually great for him because Dave Island is, you know, he's a veteran and he's kind of an old-school guy. But your guys' point about the pitching, I think Mickey deserves and Dave Island a lot of credit because early in the year everybody was saying tongue-in-cheek, oh, these guys are supposed to be miracle workers. What's up with Matt Harvey? Well, it seems to me that out of the five starters, four of them have excelled, and only one of them didn't buy into the message, if that counts for anything. I agree with you. And, you know, the other thing about it that is kind of interesting and intriguing is how, you know, many of the members of the media have decided early on. And, listen, Mickey and I have had some, you know, I've had to ask him some tough questions in that interview room. I had to ask him a tough one today. Is it your offense or your bullpen that created this first half? And I asked it just that way. But I think the media now is suffering from we're out to get this guy now. And I think that some of it is warranted, but most of it is just i got to find a scapegoat because the New York fans need to have an easy explanation as to why this is occurring. Don't take the fans uh, lightly. Fans can understand complex uh, examples of it. And the thing that I wrote about that will be in Metsmerized Online tomorrow is that these four pitchers have to stay, A, because they're good, and B, because they're finally what the right mix of pitching coach and manager. Yeah, and there, there's something to be said for camaraderie. Uh, in, in baseball, it is a very, very, very important component of your team, the camaraderie and the familiarity. And one of the things I'd actually like to see Mickey Callaway do in the second half is commit to a lineup for a few weeks because it's been a bit of a musical rotation as Drupal Cabrera has hit one through six in this order this year. And not for nothing, when guys are struggling, sometimes, especially if they're young, it helps to just be in the same spot every day so you can get into a routine and get yourself in a comfortable situation and order with which you do things and prepare for your day. So I think that's something that could help them in the second half, especially if some of the young guys come up. Ryan, I want to thank you so much for joining us. As always, um, you have a very in-depth knowledge of this team, and you also 
uh, act like you've been doing this for about 30 years, which would make you old, and you're not. You're a young man, so I think you got the best of both worlds. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. That's Ryan Crofts. He does a great job in uh, you know, analyzing minor leagues. We're going to do more of that in the weeks to come with the Mets minor league system, but I'm going to leave you with this one thing, and we've been bringing this up, Mike, for the last few weeks. Brian Cashman has gotten all these bouquets the last couple of years, and he's done, he's done some really good things. There's no question about it. Got real fortunate with Chapman. Really Perfect did. scenario. Really did. But Sonny Gray was the wrong guy to bring into this rotation. If he makes another misstep, and let's say the Yankees win, don't win the division, let's say they win the wild card game, and they lose in five games to the Red Sox, is that the worst of everything that could happen to the Yankees getting eliminated sooner this year and by the Red Sox? You look at it a couple different ways. Yankee fans and the Yankees think tomorrow's guaranteed. I don't. They do have young players. They have players that are very uh, much entrenched and you think they'll be here for a decade. But just because that happened in the 90s and everything went well in the 90s doesn't mean it happens today. So, to me, his decision on the starting pitching is paramount because this could be their shot. This could be their shot to win a championship. Is Justice Sheffield the right move? Um, Maybe. And at the end of the day, if you're not willing to give up any of your top prospects and the best you're going to get is J-Hop, then to me, go with the kid and uh, and see where it gets you. And I think I've said this on a number of occasions. I'm going to say it again. As we head into the back half of 2018, the second half, understand this, that the New York Yankees have not, I'm not saying won the World Series, they haven't been to the World Series in this decade. I got news for you, there's only one, one team in New York or in the NL East that's been to the World Series. We all know who that is. If the Yankees don't get to the World Series this year or next year, it'll be the first time in over a century that the Yankees have not been to the World Series. Even in the 80s, they got there once in 1981. So Cashman's got a lot of pressure on him, and Mike, it's going to be interesting to see how he reacts to it. Absolutely. It'll be very interesting. Next two weeks will be very interesting for both clubs, and I think it starts after the All-Star break, and even for the Mets and the Mets fans. It's about winning. It's about pushing this team to compete and finish the year as close to 500 as possible. That is a great goal for them. And and just a couple of programming notes. The next couple of weeks, I will be at Yankee Stadium next week for the uh, – I think it's probably going to be DeGrom and, and Severino because both will probably pitch in the All-Star game, and that will take them to uh, regular rest. Look forward to that. Mike Silva will be here with Justin. I will be calling in from Yankee Stadium. The next week's kind of up in the air. I might be in Pittsburgh with the Mets based on the trading deadline. I might not. ESPN will probably let me know about three hours before my plane takes off, as they usually do. So just keep uh, abreast of what's going on here. And enjoy the All-Star game. You know, when I was a kid, the All-Star game was a big deal. It was National League and American League. You knew who the National League players stayed in the National League for the most part, unless you're talking about Nolan Ryan or other cross-league trades. It's almost like baseball's become one big league now, and I miss how important the All-Star game was in the late 60s through the 70s and how a big event that was in my house where my mother would cook for the whole neighborhood and everyone would come in and watch the All-Star game. Now people will watch the All-Star game in their mini screen and watch something else. I yearn for the old days. We'll talk to you next week on New York Sports Wrap.
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.